Praise the Lord, everybody. I want to wish you a, a very happy Memorial Day weekend, and I'm so glad that you're in the house of God today, not only celebrating who Jesus is, but remembering those who have sacrificed their lives for our freedoms, and uh, we're thankful for that today, and we're appreciative I, I have often struggled. Uh, it's just my personality. It's, it's the way I am. No one's ever accused me of being anything less than very serious. Um, I've always struggled with the concept of Memorial Day weekend and the focus being on celebrations and cookouts and uh, ice cream and all of those things when really it's a very serious, and I know some of y'all are looking at me like I'm a buzzkill right now, but it's a very serious uh, concept to be remembering those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for me and for you. And, and I really felt that way for many, many years and really would feel guilty on Memorial Day weekend doing anything fun. And not long ago, a few years back, I was talking to a veteran friend of mine, a very close friend, and I was articulating that to him, and he rebuked me. He's one of the few friends that I have who were close enough friends where he can rebuke me, and I'll listen to him. And, and he said, you're not thinking about that correctly. He said, because men and women who have served honorably and sacrificed their lives, and even those who were wounded like he was, they were willing to do those things so that we could go about our normal lives and celebrate and work and walk in our freedoms. And that changed my perspective on how to operate. See, enemies, in fact, terrorism, the whole point of terrorism is to cause us to no longer maintain our usual routine and do the things that we would usually do. That's what terror does. It stops you from going places you would usually go or do things that you would usually do. For years after 9-11, people were afraid to get on airplanes because that's what terrorism does. It hinders people. And I said all of that to say this. That's exactly how it is in the spiritual realm. Oftentimes, we can be focused on the things that are serious and the things that we're going through and, and we look at sacrifice and we look at pain and we think, you know what? It's going to hinder what I'm doing. I'm not going to have the joy of the Lord. I'm not going to lift my hands in worship. But you know, the greatest thing that you can do to show the enemy that you have won the victory is to give God praise no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've lost, no matter the hurt, no matter the pain. I wish someone would stick it in the devil's face this morning and throw up your hands and lift up your voice and say, Devil, you didn't steal my joy. You didn't steal my peace. You didn't steal my praise. You can't have my worship. I am here to lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No, no, no. No, no, he didn't stop us. No, 
No, he'd love for you to come to church and, and be sad and think about all of the things that you've lost and all of the things that you wish were different. But the greatest thing you can do as a testimony is to come to the house of God and say, Devil, I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I'm going to have a Holy Ghost party on Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to shout on Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to dance on Memorial Day weekend because when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And you better listen to this preacher. When your soul starts crying out, your voice is going to cry out at the same time. Some of you think that your soul is a substitute for your voice. Your soul can't shout if your voice won't shout. Somebody needs to let your soul cry out from within you. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16. I know it's a holiday weekend. You're tired. You have cookout plans. You're afraid of the rain. You don't want me to preach long, and I worked you up a little bit more than you wanted to do. I promised my son. My son is keeping a, a journal now that he writes in, and he, keeps, he writes sermon thoughts. And uh, I'm, uh, I thoroughly enjoy uh, going over his newest sermon thoughts. I might have shared this with some of you, but he came to me the other day and, and he said, Daddy, um, I've been really working on sermon thoughts today. And I said, that's awesome, bub. And uh, he had shared one with me and I told him it was powerful. And so now whenever he shares a sermon thought with me, he says, I have a powerful one for you, Daddy. And, and it's, it's kind of hilarious. But, and he said, uh, but I wanted to tell you something powerful, and, and then he asked a question, which is something my son does. He'll say, he, I'm going to tell you something, and then he asks you a question. And he said, uh, I'm trying to understand, Daddy. I have had almost like a hundred sermons today, literally in like the last 10 minutes. And I said, wow, that's, that's awesome, bub. I can't wait to hear him. And he said, yeah, but what I don't understand is why does it take you like three days to put a sermon together? If it's that easy. And I said, well, bub, you're probably just a lot better at it than I am. He came back to me a few days later, and he was stumped on something. And he said, Daddy, it's a lot harder than I thought. And I said, yes, sir. But I told him I'd share one of them. He, and it's totally unrelated to my message, but I'm doing it in honor of my son. And really, he calls them sermon thoughts. I told him the other day, I said, you know, bub, you do have to have scriptures if it's going to be a sermon. Otherwise, it's an illustration. And uh, most of his thoughts are actually illustrations, but he, and they usually involve Legos. And he said, Daddy, he said, uh, this is my powerful sermon thought for the day. He said, you know, people are not like Legos. You can break Legos and tear them apart and put them back together again. But when people are broken, they can't be put back together like Legos unless God steps in and then God can put them back together again. I think that is powerful, don't you? I think that's powerful. And so the altars are open. You can come. Genesis 3 and 16. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I will try to be brief, but I do feel that we should not rush. There, there's no service tonight. We have a whole evening. We have tomorrow. How many think we should just go ahead and hear the word of the Lord? Genesis 3, 16. This is the tyranny 
and the bondage of sin as it entered into the world. And this is the description of how that tyranny and how that bondage came upon mankind. And we're familiar with it, but I'd like to refresh us. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. This is God speaking to them after their sin in the garden. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Look at your neighbor and say, he clothed them modestly. That's just a nugget for you. I'm not going to preach about that. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And I'd like to preach from this subject, the sacrifice of freedom, the sacrifice of freedom. Can we put our Bibles down and let's lift up our hands? Let's ask the Lord to help us today, shall we? Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I know that there's distractions. I know we have plans. I know there's things happening today and tomorrow. But I pray that we could focus our minds on your word for just these few precious moments that we have together. I pray that your anointing would break yokes. I pray that your anointing would give us clarity and focus on the things that we need in order to make it, in order to run the race with patience, oh God. I pray that you would lift someone up who's down. I pray that you'd deliver someone who's bound. I pray that you would help someone who's hopeless, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, I risk putting some of you to sleep, but I do want to read a portion of a speech that General Washington, George Washington, gave to his troops just before the Battle of Long Island, August 26, 1776. And he said this, the time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves whether they are to have any property they can call their own, whether their houses and farms are to be pillaged and destroyed and themselves consigned to a state of wretchedness from which no human efforts will deliver them. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of a brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have, therefore, to resolve to conquer or to die. Our own, our country's honor, call upon us for a vigorous and manly exertion. And if we now shamefully fail, we shall become infamous to the whole world. 
Let us then rely on the goodness of our cause and the aid of the supreme being in whose hands victory is to animate and encourage us to great and noble actions. The eyes of all our countrymen are now upon us, and we shall have their blessings and praises if happily we are the instruments of saving them from the tyranny mediated against them. Let us therefore animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. Liberty, property, life, and honor are all at stake. Upon your courage and conduct rest the hopes of our bleeding and insulted country. Our wives, children, and parents expect safety from us alone, and they have every reason to believe that heaven will crown with success so just a cause. The enemy will endeavor to intimidate by show and appearance, but remember, they have been repulsed on various occasions by just a few brave Americans. If you study the American War for Independence from the tyranny of England, you will find that freedom did not come without overwhelming sacrifice. People lost their lives, their health, their wealth, their friends, their families were divided along ideological lines. They lost homes, and the list of sacrifice could go on and on. They did all of this for the sake of freedom, for the sake of liberty, and for the sake of being able to have the life that they intended to live. Human history has taught us that freedom always comes with sacrifice. Even today, brave men and women sacrifice their lives so that we can be free from the tyranny of ancient evils like radical Islam, militant communism, angry fascism, moral depravity, and desperate dictators. Moral relativists would have us believe that we are evolving into an age of human utopianism, and yet, we are facing the same evils that have existed since the days of Adam and Eve and the days that they were thrust out of the Garden of Eden. Can I tell you that it is no coincidence that in spite of the fact that we have phones that are computers that can go around the world in a blink of an eye, in spite of the fact that we can send holograms across the oceans and jets can go around the world in just a matter of hours, in spite of all of the technological advances that we have made as human beings, we're living longer, we have more medical resources at our disposal, we're making discovery after discovery after discovery, yet we are still living in a world where there are wars and rumors of wars. We're still living in a world where people don't know how to love one another. We're still living in a world where people don't know how to be faithful to one another. We're still living in a world where the same sins that grab people 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, fornication, adultery, gossip, lying, slander, backbiting, everything that you can imagine, addiction, drunkenness, uh, false doctrine, false gods, 
idols, everything that you can imagine is still right here in the modern age. We're just doing it sleeker. We're just doing it cooler. We're just doing it faster. We're just changing and evolving a little bit more every day. But it's the same sins over and over again. People are bound by the same bondage that people were bound by 6,000 years ago. It's just got new names and new descriptions and new titles, and it's got shiny new facades and new masks, but it's the same old thing. The modern world just dresses up idolatry and calls it something else. The modern world just dresses up immorality and calls it it something else. We dress up murder and we call it choice. We dress all the same sins up with brand new clothes and we say, no, that's not what God said. That's not what God intended for us to do. But the reality is that we are still living under the bondage and the tyranny of sin. Every man. Every woman, every boy, every girl is still born into sin and shapen in iniquity. Yes, we are. We don't preach about it as much. We do in this church, but the average church doesn't. The average church glosses over the reality of sin. The average church glosses over the reality of people who are bound. We no longer call bondage bondage. We call it freedom. That's what the Bible talked about when when the Bible says, when Scripture says that they'll call evil good and they'll call good evil. That's why there are people who will look at individuals who have been set free by the power of Jesus and who are now not living under the bondage of addiction. And yet they will look at you and say you're bound because you can't do that. The reality is you don't want to do it anymore because God set you free. You don't want to go back to Egypt because you remember what the slave master's whip felt like. You don't want to go back and build houses for Pharaoh. You don't want to build pyramids. You don't want to have to see your children thrown into the river by Pharaoh. That's real bondage. And yet Egypt looks at you and says you're bound because you're somewhere on a way to a promised land. I got news for you. I'd rather be free in the wilderness than bound in Egypt. I would rather have liberty in the Holy Ghost than liberty. To sin freely. It's all a matter of definitions. I I can't preach this because this is too philosophical. It's a holiday weekend and y'all will run me out of town. But you know, we have a real problem. Did you know that words matter? You know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he said, it is written, 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 it is written. And then he quoted it because the word, the word matters and your words matter that's why the bible instructs us over and over again not to speak words idly not to speak words carelessly did you know that you will give an account for your words my god words matter you need to know the word of god the word of god will bring liberty to your life. And the moment that you began viewing the word of God as bondage, you have taken on the mindset of Egypt. 
right, no one's going to preach. I'm going I'm to get off this in a minute. But because I feel so much resistance, I feel like I need to preach this for a minute. Because I don't know if you're just sleeping or grilling out in your mind, but you need to understand that the moment you hear, I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've talked to someone about something biblical, something about the things of God, and they will say to me, I just feel like that wouldn't be wrong for me to do. I look at, I look at that and I just feel God wouldn't judge me for that. I just don't feel like God would judge me for that. And of course, I immediately know that they have a real problem because they are relying on their heart. And the heart is deceitfully wicked. The Bible said that. Who can trust it? And so in those situations, inevitably with those kinds of people who have given themselves over and you have to give yourself over to that kind of mindset, Inevitably, when they get to that place, I can take them to the scripture. I can show them to the, the verse. I can let them read it out loud, and I can read it out loud, and they will still say, I just don't feel like that really matters. Why? Because they are bound to the mindset of Egypt. Moses said, let my people go. And yet there were people who, when they got there, said, maybe we should go back. That's what happens. That's Egypt in your spirit. We need on a, I know it's Memorial Day, but somebody needs to lift up your hands and shake the residue of Egypt out of your spirit. Somebody ought to open up your mouth and cry out to Jesus and shake the residue of Egypt out of your spirit. If there's anything residing inside of you that longs to go back, you ought to say, no, I realize that I was bound and I have been set free. The curse that Adam and Eve's sin brought upon humankind was so profound that it has literally impacted the entirety of the human race. The book of Genesis is not a frivolous book of the Bible. It's not an allegory. It is the literal word of God. And when you read it, there are lessons that you can learn because you need to understand that nothing has impacted your life more aside from events in the New Testament than the events that took place in Genesis chapter 16 when they disobeyed God and allowed the devil to have place in this universe to where he could bring rebellion and sin and separation from God. Sin literally brought bondage and tyranny upon the entire human race from that day forward. A whole lot of things happened in this passage that directly impact our lives. Not only did humankind become enslaved by sin, we became a slave to tears and toil and hard work. And I just want to go ahead and rebuke Adam and Eve for that right now from the bottom of my heart. And when I see him in heaven, I'm just going to say thank you, but no thank you very much. We became a slave to the very ground that we were created from. We became enslaved to pain and time and death. Pre-sin, there was no such thing as time and death. Time and death are post-sin problems. Evil entered into the heart of humanity and childbirth 
became intensely painful. I've often wondered why God included childbirth in the curse of sin. And I believe God wanted to remind Eve and every mother from that day forward that their children were being born into a world marred by the excruciating pain of sin. When Eve gave birth and felt that pain, it was a reminder that her children were being born into the curse of sin. It was a reminder for her as a mother that they have a problem in their life because of what you have done. And every time a child is born into this world, we know there's great joy, but there's also great pain. And the pain is there to remind mothers and fathers they've got a problem in their life. And you have a responsibility to help this child. You have a responsibility to help this child overcome the bondage of sin. You're their mother. You're their father. You better lead them and guide them in the ways of the spirit. You better go ahead and show them the way. When they wake up in the morning, have the word of God in front of them. When they go to bed at night, go ahead and put the word of God on their heart. On Sunday morning, they shouldn't have to ask, are we going to church? They should just know we're going to the house of God because we want to be free of the pain, the degradation, and the bondage of sin. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin robbed us of our ability to communicate and approach the presence of God freely because the holiness of God cannot tolerate sin. We see this, uh, this issue of blood first mentioned in Genesis chapter 4. We know that there was two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and one of them was a shepherd and one of them was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and so... Abel brought the firstlings of his flock, a lamb, and he brought the fat thereof, and he offered it as a sacrifice unto the Lord, and God received, he respected his sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. But Cain decided to bring an offering of fruits and vegetables, and he gave that to the Lord, and God would not receive that sacrifice. God would not accept it. In fact, the Bible says that he rejected that sacrifice. And this literally offended Cain. Cain became offended with God. Hello. He was offended with his brother, but his real issue was with God. Oh, I know it's a holiday. Y'all don't want me to preach this. I'm going to preach it anyway. Do you know that some of you have an issue with offense in your life? And you think that your problem is with your brother and your sister, but your problem is with God. Because when you have things right with God, you'll be able to make things right with your brother and your sister. Some of you really just need to get with God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. All Cain had to do was just go get a blood sacrifice and bring it to God. All he had to do was just listen to what God was telling him to do. But we're living in the last day Antichrist generation that says, I'm going to give God the kind of sacrifices I want to give him. And if he doesn't like it, he can lump it. I'm going to live the way I want to live. 
live, do what I want to do. And if God doesn't like it, well, then I'll just murder my brother. I've got news for somebody. God will not accept your sacrifice until you go ahead and lay your body down. The temple of the Holy Ghost. Go ahead and present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. No, 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 I don't have to live that way. God doesn't care. You better present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But the spirit of Cain says, I'll give God. It's not that Cain didn't want to give God a sacrifice. Hello? Anybody awake? It's not that Cain didn't want to give God a sacrifice. Cain just didn't want to give the sacrifice that God required. He wanted to present his own version of righteousness, his own version of freedom, his own definition of liberty. But God says, you don't get to choose the standard. You don't get to choose the vocabulary. You don't get to choose the definitions. I set the standard. Anybody believe that God sets the standards? Anybody believe that God reigns on the throne? Anybody understand what it means that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Americans, we struggle to understand because we're in this republic slash democracy thing where we all think we have a say, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is not a republic. It's not a democracy. It is a kingship. God says, God says, let there be light and there's light. God says, I'm going to separate the waters and they're separated. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. And we don't get to say, no, Lord, I don't like that. God requires the blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17 tells us why God required a blood sacrifice. Cain didn't understand it. He didn't need to understand it. All he needed to know is that God said it. And by the way, we have a problem with people who want God to tell them every little detail before they'll obey God. God doesn't have to give me his detailed plan before I listen to his voice. If God tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. And eventually it will make sense. It may not even make sense in my lifetime, but someday it's going to make sense. Cain didn't understand that God already had a perfect lamp. God already had a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And his name was Jesus. God was putting all of this together. And Cain didn't understand. And God said, I'm requiring a blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement, a pardon, a reconciliation for your souls. Everyone said your souls. Not for your body. Not so that you could be healed. Not just to overcome cancer. I believe God can deliver us from cancer. I believe that God can heal diabetes. I believe God can take the pain from your neck right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel something moving in this place. But that is not the reason that he requires a blood sacrifice. He required it so that our soul could live with him forever in eternity. Because God is more concerned with your eternal destination than he is your physical well-being. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The whole of the New Testament, every book, points towards that great sacrifice that was to come. 
the sacrifice of Jesus giving his own life, bleeding his own blood on our behalf. It was the sacrifice of freedom. It's the Old Testament central statement about the significance of blood and the sacrificial system that helps us understand what Jesus was doing in the New Testament. God, speaking to Moses, declared, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Everyone said, on the altar. We still need an altar in the New Testament. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. A sacrifice is defined as the offering up of something precious for a cause or a reason. And making atonement is satisfying someone or something for an offense committed. The Leviticus verse can be read more clearly this way. Everybody okay? God said, I have given it to you, the creature's life, which is in its blood, to make atonement for yourselves, covering the offense you have committed against me. In other words, those who are covered by the blood sacrifice are set free from the bondage and the consequences of sin. If we really understood what that meant, every person in this room would be shouting and running the aisles right now. See, I realize, and I prayed about this early this morning, I could have come here and preached something about how we need to dance like David danced and how if we would just dance just the right way, God would heal us and deliver us and give us victory. But when I start reminding us that sin has eternal consequences and that the blood of Jesus is the only way we can be delivered from it. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice and gave his life so that we could be right with him. Somehow we just kind of fold over. And I know it's a holiday weekend, but I'm just telling you it's the way it is in the modern church. And we need to rebuke that spirit and understand if we really knew that we were lost and without hope, if we really knew what hell was going to be like, if we really knew how we have offended God with our lives, life if we really knew his great mercy and love and grace that reached down when we were yet unworthy and gave his own life if we really understood what that meant there would be no end to our praise there would be no end to our worship of course in the old testament the animal sacrifice would only temporarily pardon sin it never really pushed it away entirely but when jesus came when jesus came he became the ultimate and final sacrifice. Musicians come. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ? Look at your neighbor and say, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Stand with me, I'm closing. If you're here today and you're feeling bondage in your spirit, I want you to know that the blood of Jesus can deliver you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He died. And of course you know, I don't have to preach a whole message about it, that he's not in the grave any longer. 
But I saw something yesterday that moved my spirit. Another preacher said this, and it hit me. When Jesus was breathing his final breath, and he cried out, it is finished. He said, it is finished. If you just look at that from an English perspective, it almost sounds like that was a declaration of defeat or a declaration of it's over. It almost sounded hopeless. I imagine if you were there and you didn't understand what was really happening in the grand scheme of eternity and and if you didn't realize that he was God manifest in the flesh, and if you didn't know he was about to come out of the grave three days later, if you didn't know all of those things, that sounded like a declaration of hopelessness and despair. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, I'm finished. No, he said, it is finished. It was a declaration of victory. It was a declaration of I have accomplished what I came to accomplish. And be hallelujah. And the devil is trying to tell some of you that you're finished and you need to look him in the eye and say, no, the blood of Jesus gives me resurrection power. My situation is not hopeless. My circumstances are not over. I don't have to give up. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to hide in fear because it is finished. He completed it. He accomplished it. He died and he resurrected so that you and I could have victory joy and peace I know it's I know it's that time of day where some of y'all are thinking about your plans but I wonder if there'd be someone who'd be willing to come to this altar with me and say brother Ryan I need God to move in my life today I need God to remind me that it's not over. I need the blood of Jesus to cover me and give me the victory that only the blood of Jesus can give. I'm thankful for every soldier. I'm thankful for every human hero, but I am thankful that the cross of Calvary was the ultimate sacrifice that can give you victory today. If you're struggling in your spirit, if you're addicted, if you're hurting, if you're lost, if you're not sure you're ready to meet your Savior, if you're not sure that you're ready to make heaven your home, if you need a healing in your body, by His stripes we are healed. If you need a touch in your mind, if you need an uplifting in your spirit, could you just make your way? There's no shame. There's no shame. Make your way right now. Make your way. They're going to sing this song. And I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to cry out to Jesus. And he's going to apply the blood to your life right now. That's beautiful. Oh, it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It will never lose its power. Someone needs to trust in that power. It reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest. 
Jetzt. 